So folks, isn't it great to be in the presence of the Lord as we say goodbye to an old year and uh, we're welcoming in the new year? I think this is the best place to be. And do you realize that the faithful people in this building and the folks watching online will be in church for the rest of this year? Isn't that a thought to consider? Bill Vaughan once said, an optimist stays awake until midnight to see in the new year, but a pessimist stays up to make sure the old year ends. So I trust that all of us here tonight are optimists waiting for the new year, waiting for a new slate to begin our lives in a couple of minutes. I wonder how many of you made New Year's resolutions? It's that time of the year where, where we, we promise ourselves a whole lot of stuff. And according to a survey done by, um, by Forbes Health and One Point for 2024, they found that among the top five goals among, uh, regarding New Year's resolutions, uh, the, the, there are improvement in fitness, 48% of people say that, weight loss, 34%, and then a healthier diet or a healthier lifestyle, uh, about 32%. Now, I wonder if your New Year's resolutions fall within the categories of, categories of, of these of that I've just mentioned. Mine sure do. I, I, I resolve to, to lose a few kilograms this year and uh, to, to live a healthier lifestyle. So I don't know about you, but... Uh, uh, for those of us who are in the same category as I am, they say it's not, we do not need to worry so much of what we eat between Christmas and New Year. What we really need to worry about is what we eat between New Year and Christmas. <laughs> so, so I read an article and uh, the two friends um, met like halfway through the year and the one friend asked, asked his buddy, what was your New Year's resolution for 2023? And his friend answered, I, uh, I resolved to lose about 20 kilograms by Christmas. And his friend asked him, now, how are, you, how are you doing with this? He said, no, I'm doing fine. I've got about 30 kilos to go. <laughs> so may our troubles last as long as our New Year's resolutions here in 2024. Please picture with me tonight a tightrope walker, meticulously balancing himself on a rope high above the ground between two, two, uh, two tall skyscrapers. And he, is, he appears confident and in control of every step. He's got no safety net or, or safety equipment to guard him if he, if he should fall. That would be fatal. But it, it looks like he's in control and, and the, the crowd beneath watches in awe of every step he takes. Now picture the news uh, press conference after uh, this walk. And this man, he's now very confident and arrogant, boasting about his plans for tomorrow. And he said, tomorrow, I'm going to walk on this rope between the tallest skyscrapers in the world and nothing will sway me. Now James, in James chapter four, reminds us not to make arrogant plans or, or plans for our future without taking in consideration God's sovereignty. Because tomorrow is uncertain. Tomorrow is a mystery. James tells us not to brag about our accomplishments and think we are in control of our destiny. The story of the tightrope walker 
confident in his abilities is a great example for, for us about the risks of being presumptuous. I want to read for us tonight from James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. And James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, says, Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go to this town and that town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. For you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It's like a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James reminds us here that we are not in control of our lives. And like the tightrope walker whose success depends not only on his skill, but also on unpredictable factors like, say for instance, weather or equipment failure. Life is unpredictable and we must accept that we cannot control everything. Ultimately, our lives are in God's hands. Again, I say, life can be unpredictable. We often rely on our abilities and our plans to make it through, but the story of the tightrope walker reminds us that we cannot control everything. God holds the script, and he determines the outcome, not us. We should remember this when making our plans for 2024. So when we talk about our plans without considering God's guidance, it shows that we are being arrogant, relying too much on ourselves. It is unwise for us to assume that we can achieve everything we set out to do. We cannot predict the future, and the reality is we may not even be alive tomorrow. Therefore, James reminds us here in verse 16 that we should rather say, if the Lord wills. God willing, we will do this or that. The phrase God willing translates in the Latin as Dio volente, God willing. So in 2024, instead of saying, I'm going on holiday in February, as a, as a God-fearing people, we should rather say, I'm going, to, I'm going on holiday, Dio volente, God willing, in February. Or instead of saying, we're having a, a community group meeting this Thursday evening, we should rather say, we will have a community group meeting, due Valente, God willing, this year. So tonight, the topic of my talk is due Valente, trusting the architect of tomorrow. While preparing for tonight, I came across a quote, and neither Luanda or myself could, uh, could figure out who penned this quote, but the quote reads like this, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, Today is a gift from God. That's why it's called the present. Tomorrow is a mystery. Even King Solomon in the Old Testament knew this as he wrote in Proverbs 27 verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. Understanding the uncertainty of life or the mystery that tomorrow holds, both King Solomon and James remind us of the unpredictability of life. Therefore, as God's children, we should live with a humble acknowledgement of God's sovereignty as we go into 2024. So because of the uncertainty of tomorrow, how do we navigate the tomorrows in 2024? I want to give five suggestions this evening. 
Firstly, only the Lord knows what tomorrow holds. You see, God is omnipresence. It means he is uh, present in all ranges of time and space. Psalm 139 is a profound and intimate reflection on God's omniscience and his omnipresence, as well as the depth of his knowledge of each of our lives. Because he is the creator of the heavens and earth, he's in every location. And he's also the creator of time. He's the one without beginning or end. This uh, song beautifully portrays God's presence as an intimate, all-knowing, all-encompassing reality where there is no corner of the universe or depth on the sea that the human experience where God is not present or actively involved. Excuse me. Only God knows the mystery of what tomorrow holds. In this regard, I want to take you to the day of Pentecost, where the disciples now being filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter stood up and he, and he delivered this amazing sermon where 3,000 people came to salvation. And in Acts 2, verse 23, he said, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of unlawful men. God exists out of time. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord, it was not necessary for him to make a spontaneous plan on how he's, how he's going to, to save the human race. He always knew Adam and Eve will sin. And he had a plan. He always was his plan for Jesus to die. In Revelation 13 verse 8, John writes and he says, And I saw the Lamb, speaking of the Lord Jesus, slain before the foundation of the earth. God knows the future. Here in Acts 2, where Peter says that God had a definite plan and foreknowledge, it means that God understood all possible conditions, all possible outcomes, and all possible variants, and he said, my purposes will be best met by crucifying the Lamb of God. God knew. His foreknowledge goes beyond the cross. It covers everything. He knows the future because he plans it and makes it happen. The future is the counsel of God being established. The future is the purposes of God being accomplished by God. God himself declares this as he says in Isaiah 46 verse 9 to 10. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none other like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purposes will stand, and I will do all that I plan. Only the Lord knows what tomorrow holds. I think that brings comfort to our heart. And therefore, secondly, we do not, we do not need to be anxious about tomorrow. In theology, there's many tensions that we find in the Bible, and, and in this portion that I'm going to read is another tension. We, should, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow is a mystery. But yet, the Bible says we should not be anxious about tomorrow. In his beautiful Sermon on the Mount, uh, found in Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus uh, taught his disciples, and in uh, chapter 6 from verse 31 to, to 34, uh, Jesus uttered these words. 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Too often, Jesus' words here are, are ripped out of context, and people uh, use these words to say that when we trust God and we seek his righteousness, he will give us endless material uh, um, blessings. But this is not at all what's the context of this portion of Scripture. The context of these things are the basic needs in life, what we will eat and what we will wear. Jesus commands us not to live in continual worry about how we will obtain those, even if we don't know where the next meal will come from. He wants us to trust our Heavenly Father to provide for us in the needs of our day-to-day -day lives. And He does that because He values each one of us so greatly. Instead of living in constant worry and fruitless uh, uh, fretting, Jesus gives us a different outlet for our energy. We must prioritize pursuing God's kingdom. Trust in his righteousness and leave it to him to take care of our basic needs. To seek God's kingdom and his righteousness means to live in ongoing repentance from sin. It means to lead the kind of, of sincere, from the heart, devoted to God lifestyle Jesus was describing. In response, God will make provision to give us what we need in life to accomplish his, his will and his purposes. Jesus is saying here in short that we as born-again believers ought, ought uh, let tomorrow worry about itself. He's not saying uh, as believers we, we could not or should not make wise plans. He's also not saying that we shouldn't be aware of what's going on in the world and just concentrate on the immediate questions. But I think the context here, what he's addressing is the emotions of anxiety and fear. He doesn't want us to fear and have anxiety. Those who trust in the Lord, should not allow wallow in worthless worry over the future. Tomorrow's fight will happen tomorrow. The battle to trust God is happening in our day-to-day -day lives. Today has plenty of trouble for which we must trust the Lord. We shouldn't try to solve all our problems of all times in one go. No, he has done it. Jesus said we, he will supply what we need today and tomorrow. And we can trust him in this because he's he proven himself in, in the past. Thinking of the time when the children of Israel were in the desert and God provided manna, fresh manna, every day, enough for every new day. We can trust God because he, he, he tells us not to be anxious. Another tension here uh, is that while we shouldn't, be anxious about tomorrow, we should still plan for tomorrow. The scriptures teach us that thoughtful, diligent planning is valued. King Solomon had lots to say about this. In Proverbs 21 verse 5, he said, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, 
But everyone who is hasty come only to poverty. Earlier in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs, he he used even stronger language when he said uh, in Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 8, Go to the end, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having a ruler, a chief, or, or an officer, she prepares her bread in summer and gather her food in harvest. We should do due diligence in planning for tomorrow. But as I said earlier, we should not waste time and energy about worrying whether our plans would be sufficient. We plan for tomorrow, but we do not worry about whether it will be sufficient. First and foremost, we must trust in the Lord to supply for us what we need. So tonight we have said that only the Lord knows what tomorrow holds. And we do therefore not be, have to be anxious about tomorrow. Because thirdly, God promises us to be with us tomorrow. I think the most favorite psalm of, of most believers is Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23 verse 4, David declares, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear, not e- e- fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, are, they comfort me. Here in in verse 4, David expresses his trust in the Lord. What makes this psalm a favorite of many people, in my opinion, is this witness to the intimate, caring relationship between the, the believer with a God who walks with us every day in this life and even in death. As the shepherd needs to lead his sheep through ravines and and green grassy grassy hills, so our lives also go over mountaintops and into the valleys. The mystery of tomorrow, a fearful experience, or death itself bring, bring horror and terror into the lives of many people. However, the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus, promises us to be with us tomorrow. Another psalm, Psalm 46 verse 1, the children of Korah declares, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. This psalm reflects God's miraculous deliverance of his people in the past. There are many occasions where God delivered his people. For instance, there was a king in Israel, King Jehoshaphat, and a multitude of armies came against him to wipe them out. And Joseph went and uh, he, 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 he consulted the Lord. And the Lord said, go out against him tomorrow. But don't go with weapons. Let the worship team walk in front. As we sang tonight, my, my weapon is a melody. And uh, as they went out the next day, God brought the confusion within the ranks of the other armies. And they started to killing themselves. And the, Jehoshaphat and his people picked up the spoils of war for three days. Another example is when, when the Assyrian army came to, to lay siege of, of Jerusalem and they, 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 they advised King Hezekiah to surrender. But rather than surrender, Hezekiah went and he prayed to the Lord. In Isaiah 36, uh, I beg your pardon, in Isaiah 37 verse 36, the answer to Hezekiah's prayer is described. It says, and the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were only dead bodies. You see, the next morning, 
tomorrow God fought for them and there were only dead bodies. The word refuge used here in Psalm 46 verse 1 comes from the Hebrew root word machaseh, meaning shelter. Now in modern English, a shelter is, um, is, um, is often a structure providing um, uh, uh, protection against rain or, or natural disasters or, or attacks from the enemy. As here, as I just mentioned, in the Syrian uh, invasion in, in, in Israel, God sheltered his people and he made it clear that he is the, is the um, source of protection. God sheltered them in the safety of his arms. The phrase, an ever-present help in trouble, also would, would benefit from deeper study. When, when the psalmist says God is an ever-present help, it already gives us a clue. He's a present help today, and he will be a present help tomorrow. Furthermore, the concept of God being a very present help in a time of trouble could be phrased as God has been clearly proven. He proved himself. Moses, speaking to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 4 verse 7, says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him. You see, folks, God is just a breath away. God is just one cry away. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Past experiences in our lives and in the history of the world shows that God is worthy of our trust. The word, the word trouble comes from a, root word, a Hebrew root word literally meaning a confined space. And that's where we get out the English term, uh, I'm in a tight spot. To be in a tight spot is our moments when one feels trapped and hopeless. But God says, I'm an ever-present help in time of trouble. In the New Testament also, in the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews comforted us with these words. As he says in Hebrews 13 verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So only God knows what tomorrow holds. We do not need to be anxious about tomorrow because God promises us to be with us tomorrow. Fourthly, our strength for tomorrow lies in drawing near to God today. In Isaiah 40 verse 31, these well-known words are recorded. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, I consulted the authorized Bible, and, and the more acceptable uh, translation from the Hebrew is to wait upon the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Just note that the scriptures does not say those who work for the Lord shall renew their strength, but those who wait upon the Lord. This is not a matter of I'm doing my bit and then God will do the rest. We must wait upon him, which is more than just the passing of time. In the original Hebrew, this word carries with it a sense of hopeful anticipation waiting with expectation on the Lord leading and guiding us. Waiting in the Lord involves an active, patient trust 
that leads to spiritual growth and enduring strength to take us into tomorrow. Waiting on the Lord includes prayer, reading of scripture, but also making space for, for, and to silence our hearts and minds so that the Lord can also speak to us. It's through this waiting process that we, that we draw closer to God, relying on His strength and wisdom for the journey into tomorrow. We need to take the first step. We think of the parable of the, of the prodigal son. The father longed for his son. He waited for his son. But only when his son came down the road, the father ran towards him and hugged him and loved him and accepted him. I'm convinced tonight that when we give one step closer to the Lord, he will give 10 steps closer to us. In James 4 verse 8, James says, draw closer to God and he will draw closer to us. Let us take the first step in drawing closer to God. And then finally, for tonight, we need to be ready for Christ's return. The Lord Jesus made it clear that no person can claim to know the hour or the day of his return. And absolutely every prediction that gives a date or a time uh, it comes from a false premises. Nobody knows the day that the Lord will come. So also, nobody of us know the day or the time when we will be called home. The Lord Jesus warned us that we must keep watch as the day of his return, and by implication, the day that we can be called home through death approaches. And it will happen suddenly, because Paul says it will happen in the blink of an eye. In Matthew 24, verse 42, the Lord Jesus said, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. He is telling us as, the, as believers to, to live in a state of awareness. We should never fall into this false notion that whatever happens in this life day to day is all that will happen. Wakeful believers know that this life is temporal and the next life is eternal. However, the next life can become, begin without any warning. The opportunity to trust the Lord for salvation is limited to our lives or to the time before Jesus will come. You see, tomorrow is a mystery. We don't know. We don't know the Lord can return or he can call us home. Less than a week ago, on Christmas, Christmas Day, a shepherd in our congregation, um, uh, Carl Williams, he's a shepherd in, in Pastor Jason's congregation, he attended the Christmas service here in the church. And, and afterwards, he told so many people how much he enjoyed it. Late Monday afternoon, he suffered a massive heart attack, and he went to be with the Lord. You see, we don't know. In either case, the time is short. By the time we would know that our moment has come, it will be too late. We must make the decision before that moment comes. Paul, he says in Ephesians 5 verse 16, actually he implores us, actually he pleads with us by saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. How do we make the best use of our time? 
by waiting on the Lord, but also as whole life disciples to go into our front lines and, and make an intentional effort to take the kingdom of God every place where we see darkness. Time is short, folks. We need to do our part. But also just as Noah lived in ungodly times and before judgment came in the form of the flood, we as believers also need to know that we need to live holy lives in obedience to the Lord because we are living in evil times that, that, that indicates that judgment can come very soon. So tonight we have said only the Lord knows what tomorrow brings. We don't need to be anxious about tomorrow. The Lord promises us to be with us tomorrow. Our strength for tomorrow lies in drawing near to God today. And we must be awake and expecting his return or to be called home anytime. And we must live holy lives. I wonder as we end, I want to I wanna give a minute or so just for each one of us to just silently in prayer go before the Lord and, uh, and maybe just whatever is in this past year that you need to make right with the Lord. Maybe there's an issue of unforgiveness or a relationship that must be fixed. Bring it to the Lord now. As we will go into the new year in about two or three minutes, let's go into the new year with a clean slate, with expectation that God will lead us tomorrow wherever he wants to take us. So as the worship team just plays something softly in the background, just spend a minute or two, or two with the Lord, just making, ending this year in, before, his, before his throne. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 2023. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us through. Lord, I pray for folks who, who lost loved ones in, in this year. Lord, for you to comfort them and console them. And Lord, as we enter a new year, 2024, Lord, we ask you to be with us. You know what tomorrow holds, Lord. You, you tell us not to be anxious. We know you are going with us into tomorrow and into the new year. So Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll give us a fresh hunger and a fresh thirst to wait upon you, Lord. And that we as believers will be ready for you to take us home. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So folks, now it is time for tension. Happy New Year!